Psalm 19 and Luke 8. All right, and we're going to read from Psalm 18 all the way to the book of Luke in the Bible this morning. Just kidding. We're going to read several verses in each place. But uh, I, I do want you to have, a, uh, hopefully you have your Bible. It's always good to bring your Bible to church to make sure the preacher's not lying. And make sure that he's doing things and saying things right. And, uh, and you should know the Bible and you should know, you should be able to trust uh, that we're, we're not a church that tries to hide the scriptures from you. We're a church that tries to re- reveal and open them to you so that you can say, hey, look, this is, this is what the Bible says. And we're going to talk about God's word today and where it belongs, God's word and where it belongs. So uh, uh, Psalm chapter 19 and then Luke chapter 8. I want to make sure I have the right reference. Okay. Psalm not, uh, chapter 19, no, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 19, look what it says down in verse 7 for me, all right? Psalm 19 in verse 7, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now that's a passage of scripture, really, I hope that is highlighted and underlined well in your Bible at least your devotional Bible, and it, it truly is wonderful to read of the value and the substance that you gain from the Word of God. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 8, shall we? Luke chapter 8, the parable I'm going to read, this is of the Lord Jesus, of course, and he spake this parable. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels that we know as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, you can read there. In fact, I always encourage people when they read a, a story in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, to go to the other two, and you'll gain a fuller picture of that, whether it's the parable or whatever Jesus is preaching on. And, uh, and it really helps to lend more volume, if you will, to uh, the story. And so we're only going to read one of them today. Most of you are saying, thank God. Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> look, look down, if you will, in verse 4. And, and I want you to get this, all right? The Bible says in verse four, and you got to you got to remember. Okay, who's speaking? It's going to be Jesus. To whom is he speaking, and what's the context? Verse four gives us that. And when much people were gathered together, and were come to him out of every city, he spake this parable. Now remember, a lot of people were following Jesus, and a lot of people listened to him speak, but not all of them heard him. You know the difference. Here, Jesus is really going to start to mine down, if you will, and say, okay, look, I've got all these people, but the great part about Jesus being perfect and God who he is, was not impressed with the people that were following him. Does that make sense? With the amount of people. Some people will be like, wow, look, in fact, the Pharisees were saying to John, well, doesn't it bother you that Jesus has more people following you than, than you have following you? He has more followers on Twitter than you do. More people have seen his Instagram account more than yours. And Jesus was, John was honest. He said, look, I don't care. The fact of the matter is people should be following him more than me. And that kind of caught him off guard. Why? Because it's not normal. See, Jesus wasn't impressed with the fact that all of these people, thousands of people were following him and listening, but not everybody was hearing. And so he gives this parable. It says a sower went out to sow his seed. And 
As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, listen to this statement, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now that is... A statement that Jesus makes that says, listen, if you have ears, you should be hearing. Okay. He's talking about a willingness to hear what I'm trying to say, but none of you are doing that. In fact, it even puzzled the disciples a bit in verse nine and his disciples asked him saying, okay, we got to know what you're talking about. What notice what it says. What might this parable be? And so he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others, in parables or stories or illustrations that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now, don't get don't get me wrong. Jesus is not purposely trying to keep people in the dark. You've got to understand that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody not to understand. But you'll notice that it was only the disciples that said, "Will you please teach us what you mean. Why? Because they had ears. And they wanted to hear. Does that make sense? So you got to be very careful that it's like, oh, well, look, Jesus is playing some kind of gospel shell game and saying, you know, where is it? You got to find it. Keep your eye on the on the P or whatever. Jesus is never going to do that. He spake very plainly. The difference was he saw their hearts. And if they really wanted to know, they could have come to him. But the Bible says they didn't. Only the disciples did. What might this parable be? And so he said unto you is to give to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the what? Is the what? Let's say it together. It's the word of God. So now we know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about his word. Now remember in Psalm 19, we already saw what David said. Look, if you've got the word of God, you got everything. It's good, it's right, it's holy, it's valuable, and if you give yourself to them, there is much reward. Now we know Jesus is talking about the word of God. By the way, he's the sower in the parable. He's the one sowing the word of God. By the way, it's not just Jesus that sows, it's anybody that picks up a Bible and wants to share it with somebody. Okay, so the sower is the one that wants to communicate or throw the seed. The seed is the word of God. Now notice what it says. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of the hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now the wayside is the hard trodden ground. It's the sidewalk, if you will. It's the game path that you see on the side of the hill where you see all of the bush, but you see this trail going through there. Why is that trail there? Because game walks that trail every single day and they walk it so often it's beaten down the path and nothing grows there anymore. Why? Because it's trodden. It's the way that they take the wayside. Get it? It's where they walk. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word of God with joy, but they have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit unto perfection. Now the Bible says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good, what's the next word? Heart. 
having heard the word and keep it, bring forth fruit with patience. I want to preach this morning a message I've entitled, God's Word, Where It Belongs. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is the only thing in your kingdom that is elevated above your own name. And God, we would do well to remember that we cannot separate your word from you. And so as we open it today, I beg of you that you please give us understanding. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord, so that I could give the sense of your word and make application for it. I need you. And so I ask that you'd provide for this need, that you would make me your voice, uh, your mouthpiece today, that simply, God, that as we meet with you, that we would hear from you. And then, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage that as we leave here, we would not just hear it, that we would keep it and that you would be pleased with our life. Bless these that have come, those that are listening to us today online. Please watch over them and meet their needs. Pray that you'd provide for their families, help us to be grateful. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This last week, I was thinking about the blessings and all the blessings of the Christian life and all that God has blessed me with. And I realized something that that I had never thought of, and that is this. All that I have, all that I am as a Christian, all that I know, all that I believe, every part of the foundation of my life is because of one particular blessing that God has given to me, and that's the Bible. I want you to think about that for a minute. All that you've ever known about God, everything that you've ever figured out that was right or wrong, everything you have by way of salvation, everything that you have as recognition of man, this is a gift from God. Uh, This is my wife as a gift from God. These are my children as gifts from God. This job that I have as a gift from God. I I have the Holy Spirit of it. Everything that you have good in your life is of God. And you only know that because of his word. Every blessing that I have, every, and, and I saw the connection that it was just, it's, it's, it's webbed, it's vines that go back to the source, uh, and, and that is the Word of God. Now think about it with me. Through the Bible, God reveals Himself to me. And I realize that He is not some distant God through the Bible, but rather through the Bible that He's a God who is always near, and He's very personal. Through the Bible, it tells me that God loves me no matter how awful I am. And it tells me, that I can know him personally. The Bible answers the big questions. Where do I come from? Why am I here? What happens to me when I die? No other book gives those answers in all of the world than the Bible. Scripture is what teaches me what's right. It said that in Psalm 19. It teaches me what's wrong. The moral foundation of my life comes only because I have The word of God, God's word provides a looking glass by which I view all things. And through its divine wisdom, I develop a biblical worldview so that I can look at this world and I can say this because of the Bible, this world is coming to an end. We are living in the last days. Jesus is on the edge of eternity waiting. Gabriel, as the old preachers used to say, is licking his lips, getting ready to to blow that horn. Why? Because of the Bible. I only know what I know. I only view things the way I view them because I have the word of God. This truth that we find in God and his message to us is a great treasure that according to its own admission is worth more than all the treasures that have ever been discovered. And truth is well worth searching for. And it's well worth discovering. And it's well worth making 
our own. And Psalm 19 that we just read tells us exactly that. And I truly want to thank God this morning for the fact that we have his infallible and inspired word. Because all that we have come to obtain and appreciate is because of the Bible. God has made, someone said, for a man a path to walk in. In his will there is order and purpose and both are found within the pages of holy scriptures. Now think about it a little farther with me. All that I have, the Bible says that we have the abundant blessings of God in heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, because of the word of God, we have blessings in this life also. In fact, I would argue strongly, as does accurate factual history, that our very country and the freedom of our country, we owe to the influence and the power of the word of God. John Adams, the second president of the United States, made this statement, and I quote, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their own law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts they uh, there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, to frugality and industry, to justice, to kindness and charity towards his fellow men and to piety, to love and reverence toward the almighty God. What a utopia, he said. What a utopia. What a paradise would be this region. His his son, John Quincy Adams, who, by the way, was the sixth president of the United States, said this, and I quote, So great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will I be, uh, will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. George Washington Carver, author and most prominent black scientist of the early 20th century said this, and I quote, when someone asked him the secret of his success, he said, the secret of my success, it's very simple. It is found in the Bible, and then he quoted this verse, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Salmon P. Chase, the sixth chief justice of the United States of America, said, There came a time in my life, and I quote, When I doubted the divinity of scriptures. By the way, you think case for crisis knew it's not. You think it's, it's a 1970s thing where a lawyer who was an atheist married to a wife that got saved and said, Well, I'm going to prove the Bible wrong and got saved. No, no, Salmon Chase was the first man to do it. He said, I resolved as a lawyer and a judge that I would try the Bible as I would try anything in a courtroom, taking evidence for and against it. It was a long, serious and profound study and using the same principles of evidence in this religious matter as I always do in secular matters. I have come to the decision that the Bible is a supernatural book, that it has come from God and that the only safety for the human race is to follow its teachings. Hallelujah. Someone didn't tell him that. He went to the Bible and discovered that. That's the power of the Bible. Someone may know the name Benjamin Franklin. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly, he said, I believe this, that by our partial local interests, our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. He said, that's what's going to happen to us if we get away from the Bible. By the way, he was a prophet. C.S. Lewis. Anybody heard of C.S. Lewis? An atheist by age 15. Though he was raised in the Church of Ireland by the age of 15, a, a prominent atheist and an outspoken atheist. Well, he got saved. They actually made a movie, a movie about him recently. It's called The Reluctant or Most Reluctant Convert. You can see it down at the mall. 
Somebody, this is what he said, and I quote, had God designed the world, it, he, and this is what he said when he was an atheist, had God designed the world, it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see. By the way, that's a prominent opinion. People say, well, I don't believe in God because the world's awful, and people are awful, and all these bad things happen. So because of that, God doesn't exist. That's where C.S. Lewis was. Later, he would be saved, and he would write these words, God can't give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. He said, there is no such thing. What happened? He read the Bible. J.R. Tolkien sat down with him and others sat down with him and they showed him the word of God and they showed him the truth and God touched his heart and he got saved. You might know the name of our first president. His name was George Washington. He had a lot to say about the Bible, as many others did. He said, Of all the dispositions and habits which led to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on our minds of particular structure, reason and experience both forbid us to accept that national morality can prevail in exclusion of biblical principles. He said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. He said it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. He said the smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules or order and right which heaven itself ordained. Friends, I will tell you that there's much to be thankful for, and it all goes back to one well, one source of eternity, and that is the word of the living God. Now, time does not permit me to read of the miraculous influence that the Bible has had, not only on the framers of our republic, but people of law, people of literature, people of government, and countless others who have handed down a legacy of God's blessing by a Christian life through the influence of the word of God. Anyone who has ever taken God's word for what it is in truth has their lives changed. If, and that's the largest if I've ever preached. If they receive it on good soil. Now let me ask you a question. Has the word of God even the ability to change? The answer is of course it doesn't. The word of God never changes. The word of God is eternal. Why? Because God is eternal. The word of God is infallible. It's perfect. Why? Because God himself is infallible and perfect. Somebody say amen. That's the word of God that we have. Now, Jesus said it best then when he said that fruit only comes out of the heart that receives his word on good soil. As we thank God for his word this morning, I want us to hear intently the scripture and consider how our own heart is. And I'd like to present three truths about a heart that God speaks to. A heart that produces fruit. And I want to appeal to you this morning only because and for the holy word of God. First of all, if it's, I want you to notice, number one, the importance of an open heart. Importance of an open heart. C.S. Lewis, his heart was closed 
Karl Marx was closed and sold to the devil. Joseph Stalin was closed his heart. He didn't have an open heart, but it was Jesus that said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. You see, opening my heart to truth from God is nothing more than a choice I make, just like opening the door to our house. Now, let's just think about that scenario for a moment. Is my heart open to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it open to the living word of God? Now, think about the scenario when someone knocks on your door. Normally, when someone comes to your house and rings the doorbell or knocks on the door, we have a choice to make. As I look through the people, do I open it or do I not? Now, think about this for a moment. What are some reasons I wouldn't open the door? Well, number one, I don't know who it is and I don't care what he wants, <laughs> right? You look out there, you're like, yeah, I see him, but I'm not opening the door because I don't care who it is and I don't care what he wants. I'm not opening the door. doesn't matter how many times they ring the doorbell. doesn't matter how many times. Just ignore him. Just ignore him. Even if they hear us yelling at each other, <laughs> I don't know who it is. I don't want to want. I don't know what they want. Number two, I know who it is and I don't care what he wants. <laughs> You look out there and see me knocking on your door and like, oh, it's the pastor. Okay, everybody back in the living room. Go ahead. Right? Let's be honest. Don't raise your hand because we're on national television. How many of us have seen who's on the other end of the door and not opened it? Like, pastor, you've seen me at your door and not opened it? Yes. Why? Because I'm in my pajamas and I don't want to change. That's why. (laughs) But we do, don't we? We see who it's out there and we're like, yeah, I know Chris is there, but I don't care what he wants. I'm going to let him stand there for a little while. I don't care. What about this? I know who it is, and I know what he wants, but I, won't, I don't want what he has. I know why he's there, and if he really wants it, he'll just leave it on the door, and I'll get it later. I know who it is. I know what he wants. I know why he's here, but I don't want what he has. I've known plenty of people in the last 20 years who've opened the door of their heart of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And I've watched God change lives because of it. You know, the Bible says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, every good thing that I've experienced in my life is because of the revelation of God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, my savior, by the leading of his Holy Spirit into my heart when it was open. None of that happens if I don't open the door. If I don't say, Lord, I know who you are. I know what you want. And I need what you have. I want my heart to be open. None of what I read to you before. And by the way, I could literally spend another hour reading to you quotes of people in government and not government. People who are educators and not educators. Common people. People who influenced and shaped our country about the word of God. But that doesn't happen without them saying, I'm open. I want you to lead me. I want your influence. I know who you are as the the providence of almighty God. And I need to hear what you're saying. I want you to come in. I want to sup with you and you with me. I want that communion. How do I have communion with God? Through the word. That's how I hear. That's how I know what to say back. An open heart. That's the importance of it. Secondly, I want you to think about the substance of a prepared heart. Not only the importance of an open heart, but the substance of a prepared heart. Now, in the parable of the seed and the soil in the Gospels is given by the the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an illustration of salvation. That's the primary interpretation, and I understand that. And why people do or don't get saved. And it all has to do with the soil. 
Now let's just go back and review. Some of the soil is very hard. They've been, listen, stepped on. They've been stepped on by others. Or heard in some way that their heart, their soil has become hardened. So when God's word is given to them, the devil comes and he steals it away. Why? Because it doesn't do anything but stay right on the surface. It's hard. Some people have been hurt that way. So it gets hard. Others, when they hear God's word, immediately hear and receive it with joy for what it is at that moment. But unfortunately, they can't say no to temptation to sin. That's what it says. And that sin won't allow the truth to take any root. Then, of course, there are those who hear the word of God, but because of riches, because of worries, because of responsibilities, because of pleasures and pursuits, the Bible says the rest of it all can be categorized as the cares of this world. God's word gets choked. That's the Bible word, choked. That word means suffocated. It means to be crowded out. It means to be overpowered by. So the word of God doesn't take any root and it gets choked out. But finally, you notice in the parable, the honest and the good heart in verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. You see, it's the good heart. They're the ones who hear it. The Bible phraseology is they're the one that keep it. The word keep it means that they hold fast. They detain it. It's literally, I'm not letting go of this. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. I'm not letting go of what I had. The, the, the world may pull at it and someone may argue against it to get it out, but I'm holding on to it. That's the word. I'm going to detain this. Scott and Chris are both detained people. Hopefully none of them are here today, but they've detained people. What does that mean? They're, they're, they are they are keeping somebody from leaving. That's the word. These are the ones, according to scripture, who bear fruit. Heart soil can be prepared in a variety of ways. A birth. My next door neighbor just had a baby girl two or three uh, days ago. And they're unsaved. And I can't wait to see if the Lord allows me to use this to talk to them. They're of another religion from another country completely. But they're in a transition moment right now. They're very vulnerable. They have a brand new life, only five and a half pounds. And they have no idea what they're doing. Just like all of us did when we had our five and a half pounds. It can be prepared through a birth, a death, a tragedy, a triumph, a marriage, a divorce, loss of some kind, hurt of some kind. These are all kinds of ways that soil can be broken up. But everything that happens in my life affects the soil of my heart. You should write that down. Everything that happens in my life affects my soil here in one way or another. So from this point of the substance of a prepared heart, let's just think what Jesus said. First of all, the only soil that produces fruit is one with roots. The only soil that produces fruit in the passage is one with roots. That's the saving grace of God. The Bible is very careful to tie the word of God with roots and fruit. Will you turn with me back to the book of Psalms? And go to the first one, if you will, Psalm 1. Over and over, the Bible talks about fruit and root. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day or night. There's no doubt that they're talking about God's word. Verse 3. The person that does that shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, 
but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The Bible's careful to tie the word of God with roots and fruit. Ephesians 3 and verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Colossians 2 and verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You see, in order for a person to be born again, the type of soil or the condition of their heart matters. Now follow me along here, because I realize that the vast majority, if not all of us in this room, have been born again. But just hear what the Bible says and say, Lord, I understand what you're saying here. The heart, the condition of the heart matters. I've talked to many people, Mike, at the very beginning and try to witness to them, even though they have a relationship with me, but their heart is still hard. It's not been transitioned yet. It's not been broken up. Some other things have not happened enough. They've not heard enough, whatever it is, because I know the word of God can break up the soil as well, right? Amen. So I know whatever it is, their heart's just not ready. But I can't, as the sower, can't be like, well, the problem is the Bible. I got to change the Bible. I got to say something. No, no, no. I just have to wait for the soil. I have to wait for the, it to be broken up. I have to wait for it to have some moisture. I have to wait for some other things, the, the weeds and the rocks to be moved. And then when it's ready, then they can get saved. They may want to hear, but they're not ready to receive the seed just yet. But the only soil that produces fruit is one with roots. The roots are our faith. The roots are taking the word of God, letting the seed come in as the Holy Spirit of God then and allows by faith everything that he teaches me in the word of God to go down. And the farther it goes down, the higher I go up. And the more I go up, the more fruit comes out. Does everybody follow me so far? Let her be a true Christian then always produces some kind of fruit. Some kind. Verse 8. The Bible says, And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. Verse 15. The Bible says, as Jesus describes it, When it fell on the good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. In the other two Gospels, it says some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. Now, be very careful that you understand what he's saying, because that's the purpose of our life. John 15, 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Here is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So we know that's the goal. All right. But not everybody. And it's obvious that some Christians produce more fruit than others. Right. The difference is not the seed. The difference is what we do with it. It doesn't necessarily mean that any more that 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 uh, uh, that that someone's any more any less saved than anyone else. It just means that their lives are not as fruitful as others, which comes from what they do with the word of God after they're saved. So it doesn't mean that they're any more or less saved. We're all as long as we're all trusting in Christ as our savior and born again by the grace of God, we're all in that same family. Amen. But not every family member is going to bear the same amount of fruit, according to Jesus' words. So we have an open heart. We have a prepared heart. Now I'm going to get to the message, and that's in the last one. I'm going to talk about the significance of a maintained heart. And I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 24 just for a minute. You're not going to need the other, the other places, but you can turn to Proverbs 20, 24 right now. And what I'm about to say, or the things that I'm about to say, every Christian will understand. 
And that is this. After salvation, your heart can change. Okay? After I'm saved, your heart can change. After salvation, my heart can become hard. So now wait a minute. You just talked about getting saved when the heart soils, right? Oh, absolutely. But the Bible does give us many examples of the hard heart of unbelief. When the Bible is preached or taught, when my heart is hard, it doesn't matter what's preached or taught. Even from the infallible word of God. It doesn't matter. Because when my heart is hard, Satan swoops in and he snatches it away. My heart can, after salvation, become rocky. According to the words in Luke, that's when temptation takes over my life. It doesn't matter what that temptation is. Anything that is to lure me out of God's will in any arena of my life is temptation. Temptation is real to every human being and dangerous to the word of God. Temptation to sin snatches the truth or kills the truth to the heart with rocks. So the soil may be okay, but there's so many rocks that my fruit or my roots can't do what they're supposed to do. And when the temptation comes, the sun hits it, it withers away. After salvation, my heart can become full of thorns and weeds. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. Notice down in verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it well. I looked upon it and I received instruction. Get a little sleep. It only needs a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. That's when thy poverty comes as one that traveleth and thy want is an armed man. One of the things that I don't look forward to in coming home from vacation, there's a lot of things to look forward to when you come home from vacation, like your pillow. That's the best. Your own bed. Um, being in an entire household instead of some room. That's always good. I love, when I come home for vacation, I love to lay on the floor. I don't know why that is. I just love to lay on the floor. Like, this is my floor. I love this. Because wherever you are, you don't normally lay. If you go to a hotel, you don't lay on the hotel floor. At least I hope you don't. Not without some kind of covering. Um, you just don't. You don't ever lay on the floor. Does anybody else lay on the floor? I, I grew up laying on the floor. Nobody lays on the floor. Just me and my dog. I love I loved to get home and I just love to sprawl out and I lay on the floor. I love that, especially because I've been driving. I just, oh, I just lay out. It's so awful. I, I love to look forward to that. I look forward to not eating out. I, I, love, to, I, I love to just eat a home-cooked meal. I love, there's a lot of things to look forward to. One thing I don't look forward to is the potato bush that's in the front of my house that normally looks like some kind of, I don't even know. It just looks like some kind of animal or planet or something. It's humongous. Like I'm home, it's like, it's like cars have to avoid it to go back to the back houses. It's humongous. I don't look forward to that. I don't look forward to having to cut that thing. It's awful because I don't cut it short enough and it's so high and I got to get out of the ladder and it's all kind of worked and I don't want to do that. I don't look forward to the backyard. The backyard looks like the Amazon jungle. My grass all grows over and you kind of have to cut it once to get the tall stuff down. So you cut it again, right? So there's all kind of stuff involved. My palm trees need trimming, all this kind of stuff to not look forward to right? 
because it is something that needs to be done. What happened? It grew over. Why? Because I've been traveling. Notice down at the last verse in, 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 uh, in Proverbs 24. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. What is the lack? Now, wait a minute. Why does it say poverty? Since you brought it up. I went by the field. What are fields supposed to do? Produce. In a monetary less system, what you produce is your wealth. Right? I produce corn not only for my family, but to sustain my family. I produce wheat. I produce barley. Whatever it is. I produce cattle. All of that requires attention. And the, and Solomon said, look, I went by the field of the slothful. What should be protected, what should be producing is not producing. Why? Because I've been traveling. Because instead of working, I've been out stealing thy want as an armed man. I want something that I don't have. That means I'm neglecting what I do have. Somebody say amen. Because I'm neglecting, because I'm traveling, it all overflows. And now I go by it and I look and I consider it well. Why has that happened? Because they've been sleeping. Could you not watch with me one hour, Jesus said. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. What is the temptation? Rocks. According to Jesus' word, rocks. That's the temptations that kill the fruit. So even after I'm saved, it doesn't mean that I get saved and now, bang, my fruit is going to produce. Bang, my ground is going to stay soft. Bang, the rocks are gone. Bang, there's no roots. Uh, I'm sorry, there's no weeds. There's no more thorns. No, they're there if I travel. Yeah. If, if I want something else to the neglect of what I have, Please remember this. No fruit is ever the fault of the seed or its sower. It's always a result of the soil. Isaiah 37 and verse 31. Now listen to this. This is, this is God's people who know God. They've experienced his glory cloud. They've watched his pillar of fire. They've seen the blessings. And now they're going to reap the judgment because they backslid. The Bible says, and the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again, listen, take root downward and bear fruit upward. That's the goal. If you're like me, Thanksgiving is a perfect time to examine the harvest of my heart. Maintaining good heart soil is the key to fruit. If you ever get to that point where your heart's hard, there's some rocks. Temptation has pulled you away. There's some thorns. There may some, be some weeds. The, the, what's there to protect may be broken down. Can I give you just a few things this morning to help you today? You say, Pastor, I really want to have a good Thanksgiving. I really, want, I really want to bear fruit. If that's your heart, let me just give you a few things and we'll go. Number one, reopen your heart to God's word. Reopen it. The door may be shut, may have been shut for a long time. Open your heart to truth again and receive it willingly, no matter what. Listen, God said to the, in the book of Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. 
return. I almost said return to the Lord, but it's reopen your heart to the Lord. Reopen. Are you open to God's word? Are you open to say, Lord, this is your, your statutes are right. I'm open to righteousness because God, as I open my heart to righteousness, that's when I see what's not right. Secondly, break up the fallow ground. Break it up. Whatever happened to you that made you hard. Whatever happened to you that made you resentful. Something may have happened to make you very bitter or angry. Confess it. Forsake it. Get the plow of the word of God in there and let him sink it deep and say, God, I'm so sorry. This one single thing has kept me or this these 10 individual things that just they just happened to come into my life so fast or these few things. I don't care what it is. Take it to God and say, God, I have allowed this person or this instance or this tragic instance in my life. I've allowed something in there to make my heart hard. And I got to break it up. The Bible says in Hosea to the children of God, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. Why? For it is time to seek the Lord till he come again and rain righteousness upon you. Whatever it is, whatever it is that made you hard and a part of the wayside. Where that seed has been falling and been falling and been falling, but you're not growing. Why? Because something has made you hard. Would you allow God to break it up today? Would you just say, Lord, I, I need to break up my hard heart. I've not been believing because I've been in unbelief so, so, so long because I don't think this was how you should have treated me. I don't think about that's, that's, I don't think that person should have, shed, should have said that to me. Whatever it is, break it up. Why? Because you were created and saved to bear fruit. And you can't with hard ground. Secondly, kick the rocks. Kick the rocks. There used to be a game, I guess, 40, 50 years ago. Kick the rock or kick the can. Right? Kick the can. Well, I say it's kick the rock. <laughs> kick the rocks out. One of, the, one of the worst things in trying to plant something that would grow are the rocks that lay. Whether on the surface or just below the surface. If your life is filled with temptations that pull you out of the will of God, temptations to sin, remember their course is always to death. Remember that. But God's word is always to life. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Remember, by God's spirit, you can bring that temptation under control. You can destroy it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the faith, I live by the, now the, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can prove that his will is good and acceptable and perfect. I can see God supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But not if there are rocks. I got to kick the rocks. Number D. I got to pick the weeds. I hate picking weeds. Most of you that have known me for 20 years know I loathe. I hate with a loathing picking weeds. I hate it. I can thank my father for that. He used to sit me out in my front yard. And he had rocks in the front yard. And it, 
And of course, back then, it was not you to lay something down to keep the weeds from running. It's just rocks. So you put rocks out there and you say, you need to go pick the weeds. Dad, have you seen how many thousands of weeds are out there? Yeah. Go pick the weeds. I'd sit out there and be like, nobody loves me. You know, normally it's like, he loves me, he loves me not. He's like, he loves me not. He loves me not. He loves me not. My dad hates me. My dad hates me. And they weren't like weeds you could get a hold of. They were the little ones, right? And when you don't have a whole lot of strength in this, after about like four minutes, you're like, hey, I did. So you do this. And the next thing you know, you can't move your hand because you just, mm, 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 mm. Then you got to pick up all those weeds. It's the worst thing ever. And he only ever wanted me to do it when it was like 130. You know, when you live in this desert of Southern California, you're like, go pick weeds. Dad, you know how hot it is? Yeah. Go pick weeds. I go out there and sit. Can I at least have an umbrella? No. Pick weeds. Pick weeds, pick weeds, pick weeds. Listen, your flesh likes weeds. It does. It loves weeds. See, how do you know that? Well, since you brought it up, in First John chapter 2, God said, you love it so much that if you love the world, you cannot have the love of the Father in you. Love, not the world. What is that? According to Jesus in Luke 8, it's weeds. It's thorns. It's the things that get around what God's trying to do in my life. And it chokes it. Remember the definition? Overpower, crowd out. Every believer in this room knows I'm telling the God's truth. That sometimes my heart can have so many other things that God himself has pushed out. I don't have room for the word of God. Why? Because I've got so many other things in my heart. God help the Christian that is supposed to be producing fruit but cannot because of weeds. Your heavenly father may be saying today, you need to pick some weeds. I know he did that to me. You need to pick some weeds. You need to pick the weeds, throw them away and plant some new You need to get what's supposed to be in there. What's that, God? The word of God. Jeremiah 4 and verse 3. Thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, listen, and sow not among the thorns. Man, does God know what he's talking about or what? Don't try to sow the fruit of God's will in the garden of the world. Why? Because what I want to do is change your life. And I can't do that when you're here. I can't do that. You know, one of the things that I fight with this lawn back here is that everything on that side of that border of that lawn is just awful weeds. And when I ride the lawnmower back there and I ride on the outside, what's happened is those weeds have been hit, but some of the remnants of those weeds got cast over on the grass. And now I have broadleaf weeds that are going to kill the grass because I was stupid. Okay, what do I need to do? I need to pick the weeds. Why? Because if I don't, it will overtake the grass. That's what happened in the book of Proverbs. What should have been growing is not growing. Why? It was all grown over with thorns and nettles. Allow the Lord to walk through your life this morning with you. And what needs to go, he'll show you. Lord, what needs to go? Remember, you prayed at the very beginning. Lord, speak to me personally. When you do, I want to hear purposely. I, I, I want to I hear and then I want to keep it as I go. Letter E. 
This is the cool one. Invest in a landscaping schedule. <laughs> Not service. Would it be great as a Christian be like, yeah, I'm just going to hire this dude to come in and clean my heart. Take it off. Isn't, that, isn't that what Jesus is? He's like my landscaping concierge. Comes in, takes off. You know, I go to church on Sunday. All the weeds are gone. The most, the lawn, the most lawn, the lawn's mowed. All the trees are trimmed. And I go home. Right? Isn't that what? That's what we want. We want God to do the work. God is the sower. His word is the seed. Yeah, but I want to produce fruit. Then that belongs to you and I, my friend. And if it's going to happen, I've got to have a landscaping schedule. With an open heart and prepared heart. What am I supposed to do? Search God's word every day for more truth to hide there. And these were no more, more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God, listen, with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, whether these things be so. Uh, so God said in Proverbs eight thirty one, blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. It's not about just what you get from the king's handout. It's about the king himself because the king's always going to be there. If you read in the book of Acts, if they would just reach out, if happily they may find him, God waits for us every day. Why? For fruit. For fruit. By the way, the fruit is not for him to pick. It's for everyone else to pick. It's for everyone else to glean from our life what God is doing in our life. Is everybody okay this morning? And that all depends on what I do. With God's word. It was President Woodrow Wilson who said, and I quote, I'm sorry for men who do not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and pleasure, he said. When you read the Bible, you know it is the word of God because it is the key to your heart, your own happiness and your own duty. He said, a man has deprived himself of the best there is in the world who has deprived himself of this knowledge of the Bible. You see, God's word belongs in our hearts. That's where it belongs. And when there and, and, and when it is there, when the soil is good, that's when the best of our life will be manifest to the entire world. Someone said, I am much afraid that schools will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the holy scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of the youth. I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. You see, there's a lot wrong with America. But it's not a specific party's fault. It's because not enough fruit has become born because of good ground in the hearts of every believer in this nation. Before you go throwing darts at the television... Or tweeting out some kind of verbal bomb on somebody that you just don't agree with. Maybe we should look into the mirror of God's word and, and not forget what manner of men you and I are. Say, God, I don't want to have any rocks. I don't want to have any weeds. I just want to see fruit. And I want you to be glorified. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Let's pray this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In the privacy of this moment, would you just, would you first, before you do anything,
would you earnestly say, God, I thank you for your holy word. Now that we've heard what Jesus said, and now that he's explained what he means, maybe, maybe today there's some ground that needs to be broken up. Maybe there's a couple of rocks. Because of the rocks of temptation, there's, uh, there's no fruit. The seed of God's words being scorched out. There's some wrong pursuits. The cares of this world have caused some weeds, some thorns. I wonder this morning, could we just humble ourselves before God, before this Thanksgiving? And could we just, could we just ask him for fruit? Every true Christian bears some kind of fruit, at least at some point. There's always evidence of salvation, always. But man, I can sure stop producing it. I can stop producing it like anybody else, even after I'm saved. What's hurt you? Would you come to God today to heal that hurt? What's made us such a hard heart? Who was it? What was it? What are the rocks that need to go away? Hopefully you've come home today and maybe because you've been traveling, some things are overgrown. Now it's time to go to work. Father, we're so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. God, because of your word, we, we know you. We know of your son, Jesus. Because of your word, we have the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, the word of God is more valuable than any other single blessing that you've given to us on this earth. Now, I pray, God, that we would see it as the precious seed that it is. And today, there would be nothing that would stand between that seed and the fruit that should abound to the glory of God. We pray today that the decisions that have been made would be for your glory and honor. We pray that heart soils have been prepared. And now, God, because they're open, I pray that this week the communion with you would be wonderful. That we would not only, that we would not just go through the motions, but God, that we would experience your presence. And because of that, Lord, our humility and our gratitude would grow. And I know when that happens, 
that we get more grace from the throne. So I pray that you would bless. I pray that you would not just hear our prayers. Lord, we know that you answer. We have this confidence that if we pray anything according to your will, that you give it to us. And I pray, Lord, today that the thorns have been disposed of, the rocks are gone, the soil is completely soft. And now, Lord, we pray that this week that you would sow some more seed, that we would bear some more fruit, that we would come back and sow some more seed, that we could bear some more fruit. I pray that you'd watch over our families this week. I pray that you'd help us to see the little things in a, great, in a greater way. I pray that you would help us to be more acute to your Holy Spirit when you speak, more sensitive and yielded. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this church because of days like this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.